to welcome you to our brand new series, Rethink. And we have just come out of a month of Pastor Dale teaching us, and we've been talking about resetting our life in at least four different areas. We've talked about resetting our focus, resetting our attitudes, our identity, and our faith. And if you missed any of those sermons over the course of the past month, I want to encourage you to go online to wooddale.org, download that message. I think that you're going to be encouraged by what you hear. We've had so many people tell the pastoral staff over the course of the past month just how much those sermons have encouraged them. I had somebody two weeks ago that came up to me and said, Pastor Brian, can you tell Pastor Dale he needs to publish a book with everything that he's been preaching about this past month? It's been so rich, and, and I hope that it's been an encouragement to you. Uh, over the, yeah, yeah, you can, you can clap about that. Over the course of the past month, the thing that I've heard more from than anything has been that first sermon where he said that the Father of Jesus is very, very fond of you. It's been a line that has just kind of stuck with you throughout that, that whole series to understand just how much Jesus loves you. And many of you have said, you know what, I get that. And intellectually, I get that the Bible says that the Father of Jesus is very fond of me. It's written all over the Bible. But, and there's that big word, right? That word that gets in the way so often. But I just don't believe it in my heart. Or I'm just not sure it's true about me. Or I'm just not sure that God could possibly love someone like me that much. You know, studies tell us that we all have thinking patterns. In 2005, the National Science Foundation uh, conducted a study, a ton of research on how many thoughts the average human being has on any given day. And they found that most human beings think somewhere between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts per day. Now, I'm going to let you decide between you and the person next to you, who's the 60,000 thought a day person and who's the 12,000 thought a day person? Because that would mean that probably in my family, I'm the 12,000, my wife's the 60, and it takes me five days to think as much as she thinks in one day, all right? Now, Here's where it gets a little crazy. 95%, according to these scientists, 95% of the thoughts we have in any given day are exactly the same thoughts as we had the day before. How depressing is that? Wake up, open your eyes, brush your teeth, you know, your, uh, brush your teeth again. I, I don't know. But, but we, we have these thoughts and these patterns that we think about day after day after day. And here's where it gets really sad. Those same scientists tell us that 80% of the thoughts that we have on any given day are negative. What is it about us as human beings that we are so geared at the negative rather than the positive? Some people would call that stinking thinking. If you've had uh, any kind of addiction uh, in your life and maybe gone through some kind of a treatment, that stinking thinking is one of, those, one of those phrases that comes up in treatment an awful lot. And one of the things that's talked about there is we have these committees in our brains. And these committees are constantly evaluating and judging and critiquing so much of what it is that we think about ourselves. Now, many of us over the course of the past month have responded to Pastor Dale's sermons on Reset by making some weekly commitments. And each week, Pastor Dale has led us in uh, things that sound like this. By God's help, I aim to daily practice, and then there's something that follows that. And some of you have taken your cell phones out each week and taken a picture of the screen so that, you know, you can get what it is that he's saying because nobody can write that fast, right? Some of you have gone online to our website where our sermon-based life group notes have those statements every single week, and you just download them from there. But what we've heard is that people are putting those on their mirrors and their bathrooms. They're putting them on the dashboards of their car. They're looking at the cell phone picture that they took at church. And throughout the week, people are saying, you know what, I really am making an attempt to reset these areas of my life. And we believe that if our reset is going to stick, 
then we need to reset our thinking too. That's what this whole next series is about. It's a series called Rethink. We're not leaving Mark's gospel. We're going to stay right here. We're going to continue to look at the life of Jesus. But we're going we're to look at rethinking certain things through the perspective of Christ. So if our reset is going to turn into a rethink, then, and, and we're going to be people of the reset, then we need to change the way we think. And if we have so many thoughts per day, and so many of those thoughts are negative, it begs the question, is it even possible to change the way that we think? And here's the good news. The Bible also tells us absolutely. In fact, the Apostle Paul, at least three times in the New Testament, addresses the fact that we can actually have the mind of Christ. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, where he says, For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Is that the descriptor of your life today? Is that the descriptor of your mind? When your children look at you, mom and dad, do they say, you know what, my mom, she responds with the, with the mind of Christ. My dad, boy, he, he's got the mind of Christ. No question about it. And if there's any kids in here today, do your parents think that's how you respond today? All right. It's difficult to picture ourselves having the mind of Christ. And yet the Bible tells us that that is something that all Christians ought to strive for. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul teaches about not being conformed to the pattern of this world anymore. And I love what it, Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Or in Philippians 2, 5, where, where Paul just simply puts it this way, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Boy, I'd love to have that attitude. Chuck Swindoll is one of my favorite pastors. He's been a pastor for years. He's in his mid-80s now. That's hard to believe for me. And he's still preaching almost every week. He had a daily radio show, still does, that, that's played on stations all around the world. And he's written so many books that over the years, some of Swindoll's statements have actually even made it into pop culture. And um, at my doctor's office, there's a quote that's on the wall that's one of Chuck Swindoll's quotes, and it's a quote about attitude. And I love this quote, and I want to read it for you today because I, I think it's so true. He says, the longer I live, the more I realize the Im impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failure, than successes, than what other people think or say about you. It's more important than appearance, than giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home, the remarkable thing is that we have a choice to make every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace for the day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string that we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. And what was Paul's challenge to us in Philippians 2? That your attitude should be the same 
is that of Christ Jesus. So if we're going to reset our attitudes to reset our thinking to the minds of Christ, then we ought to spend time observing and getting to know who Jesus is. Before we get to today's passage in Mark, I want to encourage you to ask God to do a reset in your thinking. So our first challenge for the Rethink series is one more reset. And it's on the screen, and it simply says this. By God's aim, help, I aim to daily practice thinking with the mind of Christ. Would you, would you repeat that with me out loud? By God's help, I aim to daily practice thinking with the mind of Christ. Easier said than done, right? Some of you may have even struggled to say that because, you know, how am I going to do that? Well, listen, this only happens according to Romans 12, 1 and 2, when we renew our minds in Christ Jesus. Well, what does that mean? It means that we spend time in his word. It means that we spend time in prayer. It means that we spend time with God's people. It's one of the reasons that at Wooddale Church, we value life groups and community groups and support groups and Bible studies and one-to-one spiritual mentoring so much because The Bible tells us in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need to be people who are encouraging each other to think the way that Christ thinks. So let's go to God's Word today. There's a story in Mark's Gospel. We're in Mark chapter 6 this week. That is a story that I like to call a day at the lake with Jesus. How many of you like the lake? Do we have lake people here? All right. The rest of you moved to another state then. Okay. I can't believe you don't like the lake and you live in Minnesota. All right. I mean, I love the lakes. Uh, we have over, uh, you know, ten, we're the land of 10,000 lakes, right? We know there's way more than that, though, in the state of Minnesota. And some of you will have lakes in your yards later on today at the rate that the snow is melting out there. Uh, in Minnesota, there are 378,000 boat owners. That's one boat for every six residents in the state of Minnesota. In Minnesota, 36% of the people fish. That is second only to the state of Alaska. Whether it's swimming or fishing or uh, cross-country skiing or boating or ice fishing or snowshoeing or snowmobiling or just enjoying a week at a cabin that uh, maybe a friend's family owns or our family owns, we love to spend time at the lake. And it's one of the things I love most about living in this state. You know, Jesus also loved the lake. There are so many stories that take place in the life of Christ that took place on or around a lake. And some of the stories literally on a lake with Jesus. And so in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30, Jesus' disciples are coming back from their first ministry trip. Jesus was the master at making disciples. And these disciples had been with Jesus now for a little over a year. And in that year's time, Jesus had taught them many things. They'd observed the miracles. They had seen uh, Jesus teach with authority, unlike anyone they'd ever seen. And Jesus has just sent the disciples along with many others, a group of about 70, on a ministry tour. And on this ministry tour, they're going around and they're actually being able to see uh, themselves teaching like Christ did. Jesus said, you're going to do miracles like I do miracles, and you're going to cast out demons like I cast out demons. And they're coming back at Mark 6, verse 30 from that trip. And let's pick up the reading there. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, and they told him all that they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left the boat, they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. 
But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore to get there ahead of them. Listen, the disciples couldn't wait to share with Jesus all that they had just experienced. They wanted to tell, you know, the, the master teacher, hey, Jesus, this is what we've experienced. They, they couldn't wait. They were also worn out. I love how the Bible describes it. They were pressed on every side. There were so many demands in their time that they didn't even have time to eat. Have you ever been in a spot like that where God has just used you in remarkable ways? You know, I love being a pastor at Wooddale Church and seeing so many of you serve God so faithfully in different ministries. I've seen God use you here, near, and far for his glory. I, I see it every week in the volunteers who serve. Our fifth and sixth graders are away this weekend on their snow camp weekend. And I guarantee you that Pastor Tarman and all the students who are with him are having a great time. But I also guarantee you that when Pastor Tarman gets back and all the volunteers who are back with him later on this afternoon, they might be tempted to sleep through the Super Bowl, all right? They're going to be worn out from a great weekend of ministry with students. Because sometimes ministry wears us out. And Jesus recognized that. Jesus recognized that it's important at times to recharge. And so he tells his disciples, we're going to go across the lake. And the place that he suggests that they go is a place called Bethsaida. And if you look at the Sea of Galilee, it's near where the Jordan River kind of empties into the, to the lake. And um, it's a desolate place. And around that time, there were cities and villages all along the Sea of Galilee. But in this particular spot, it was a pretty quiet place, the perfect place to go and be refreshed. But as they're on their boat, taking the four-mile journey across the lake, some people on the shore recognize the disciples, and they recognize Jesus. And now it's not just seeing Jesus. Now these disciples have been used by Jesus to do some miracles through the power of God working through them. And so Everybody wants a piece of them. Everybody wants to meet them. And so the, the disciples are in the boat, and for whatever reason, the people can make the eight-mile trek across the lake faster than the boat that day. Maybe there's a contrary wind, and they're just kind of struggling to get across. But as they get to the other side of the lake, Jesus and the disciples are greeted by a massive crowd, 5,000 men strong, and that doesn't even include their families and their children. And what was supposed to be kind of a, a retreat a bit of a, a time to relax and refresh turns into a, another ministry opportunity for Jesus and the disciples. And I love what verse 34 shows us about who our Jesus is. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. As a pastor, this is one of those verses that kind of strikes me to the core. I want to be like that. I want to be like my Jesus, who even when he was tired and worn out, when given the opportunity to meet the needs of the crowd in front of them, saw them for who they were. You see, this passage shows us that, that Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. The ultimate fisher of men went fishing that day, but it wasn't for walleye. It was for the souls of men and for women. I've encouraged many here at Wooddale Church to begin to pray this way, that as you start your day to say, God, you're going to do some great things in the world today. And Lord, I pray that you might help me to see people with your eyes and to respond to people with your hearts. 
heart. And I, I've seen so many people talk to me about how praying that simple prayer has changed, how they interact with coworkers, how they interact with their spouse or their children, how they interact with the person who cuts them off as they're driving in the street. And I wonder what it would look like if all of Wooddale Church would begin to pray that God would help us to see people with his eyes and respond with his heart. This week I met Claudia, who works as a banker here in uh, the Twin Cities. I was going into a bank to open a new account, and she recognized me being from Wooddale, and she said, hey, I want to work with you on this new account. And so I went back to her desk, and as happens when you're opening a new account, she had to log out of her account and log out of my account, and she talked to me about passwords. And she said, you know, every day I have to log on and off of my computer several times a day, and as a banker, I have to change my password all the time. So over the course of the past few months, I've been changing my password to things I want to be. So she says, my passwords are things like, Lord, give me patience. And Lord, help me to see them like you see them. I love that. I love that. When you bank with Claudia, it's an incredible experience. Because Claudia wants to see people with the eyes of compassion that Jesus sees people with. The Greek word that is used in this passage for compassion is the word viscera. It's actually a word that's also used for stomach. That Jesus felt compassion for these people so much so that he felt it in his gut. I want to have gut-level, visceral reaction compassion for the people that God brings into my life. So our second challenge for you today is this. By God's aim, by God's help, I uh, aim to daily practice seeing and responding to people with the compassion of Christ. And my guess is that some of you might say, okay, that's a little bit easier than having the mind of Christ, okay? I want to have the compassion of Christ, still struggling with the mind of Christ thing there. Friends, God wants to offer both to you. He wants you to be people who can adopt his mindset so that through him and through his power and through his spirit, you can begin to see people the way that he sees people. Now, we've just come out of one of the coldest weeks in the past couple of decades here in Minnesota, uh, a week that will forever be known as Polar Vortex Week, all right? And it was unbelievable. I, I was I was just blown away by the cold, and I thought about those people who have jobs that require them to be out in the cold all the time. One of those people is one of our Loring Park attendees, a man named Grant. Grant uh, is a regular attender with his wife, Melanie, at the Loring Park campus. He's a police officer in the city of Minneapolis. In his job, he's the first ever police officer whose duty is to um, kind of be a liaison between the homeless population and the police. And so his job, he has this little vehicle that he drives around, and he'll go underneath bridges, and he'll meet people in different uh, parks, and he just checks on them and makes sure they're okay. And he said this week, he posted on his Facebook account that there were so many homeless people who were walking around with one glove because another homeless friend had shared the other glove to make sure that their friend could at least have one warm hand. And he said, church, I think we can help fix that. And so on his Facebook page for his ministry called Involve Minnesota, he just encouraged people, if you have gloves that you can get to me, I'll get them to homeless people. And Lynn Richter at our Edina campus saw that posting, and she shared it on Facebook, and pretty soon her friends uh, responded to that posting. And between Lynn and just a few friends, they gathered dozens of pairs of gloves, and churches throughout the Twin Cities also responded to what he did. And I know there were hundreds of pairs of gloves that were given to homeless folks throughout the Twin Cities this week because Grant and Melanie and Lynn and Lynn's friends and others who responded are people who saw people for who they are, for the needs that they have, and responded like Jesus responded. 
Now Jesus' response, his, his compassion for the people led him to respond to them by teaching them many things. You see, what, what he knew is that these people needed truth as much as they needed anything. They needed the truth that could only come from Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he allowed them to see him for who he was. And he taught them deep into the day. And pretty soon, look at verse 35. It says, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said to them, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Jesus says to the disciples, how much bread do you have? Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Keep in mind, 5,000 men and their families. Then Jesus told the disciples, have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the fish loaves and the two fish and he looked up into heaven and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. And a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Listen, sometimes God asks us to do things that from the outside looking in don't really seem to make a lot of sense. Jesus was helping his disciples to rethink compassion. You see, compassion for the needs of others ought to compel us to trust that God can take what we have, small as it may seem, and multiply it in ways that we can hardly imagine. Andrew was the only disciple to come to Jesus with the solution. John's gospel tells us Andrew finds a young boy who's got these, this, this lunch, basically, with some loaves and fish. And, and, and even Andrew says, Jesus, what are they among so many? Jesus does something spectacular. And he takes the meager lunch and he turns it into an all-you-can-eat fish and bread buffet for 5,000 men and their families. Listen, we don't need to possess great wealth great speaking skills, great leadership ability, great athletic prowess or academic skills or have angelic voices for God to use us. He has always loved to use ordinary people and ordinary things to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. Our third takeaway today is simply this. By God's help, I aim to daily practice seeing what God has already blessed me with so that I may bless others. Would you say that with me? By God's help, I aim to daily practice seeing what God has already blessed me with so that I may bless others. And listen, my guess is, you know, I, I know we've got people across economic stratospheres in this room, but just living in our country means that we're exceedingly blessed in comparison to the rest of the world. And so for you, it might be a pair of gloves that you're going to give away. Maybe you need to give one of your gloves away because that's how destitute you are this week. Maybe for you, it's opening up your home that God has blessed you with and he didn't bless it just so you and your family would have shelter. But he, 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 he gave it to you to be kind of the center of ministry in your neighborhood. And maybe it's using your home to invite over some new neighbors for some soup. Maybe it's inviting a coworker out to lunch. Maybe it's using the talents or the abilities that God has given you to volunteer to bless others. God can use that simple gift in profound ways for his kingdom. 
Back to our story, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills to, by himself to pray. Listen, there's scholars that say that this part of the story is the biggest miracle. It isn't the feeding of the 5,000. It's that Jesus, by himself, dismissed the crowd. That Jesus, on his own, after doing that miracle, was able to get a massive crowd to disperse. And what does he do then? He goes up to the mountainside and he begins to pray. And I believe that he's praying for the men on that boat. The men that he, he, he put into a lake where he knew that they would have to work for quite a while. Because he was putting them on a lake that had a storm on it again. They were going to have to fight against that storm. They were going to get tired. They were going to get frustrated. But they'd face much greater storms in the days ahead. Eleven of these twelve men on that boat would become the leaders of the early church. Ten of those twelve men would be martyred for their faith. Verse 47 tells us, late that night the disciples were in, the, in their boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. And he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. This wasn't a life-threatening storm like the storm that Pastor Dale preached about last week. A little bit more of an irritant of a storm, but it was still serious trouble. Seven or eight hours, these guys had been out on the water working and they were cold and they were damp and they were miserable. And Why? Because Jesus had put them on the boat. And Jesus had shoved them into that lake. You see, sometimes Jesus is going to put us in spots that aren't going to necessarily make us happy. He's more concerned with our holiness than he is our happiness. And sometimes Jesus is going to allow us to go through some difficult things. He's going to test us. Here's how James, the half-brother of Jesus, put it in James 1, 2-4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. See, Jesus knew that his disciples would need to develop this type of perseverance because they'd face much harsher days than the hassle of a storm on a lake. And sometimes he's allowing us to go through those things. Listen, the day wouldn't end without one more lesson. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking that he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. They, then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Listen, the disciples didn't even recognize Jesus when he was walking on the water. They thought he was a ghost. Last week, Pastor Dale preached about a storm that terrified the disciples. This time, it wasn't the storm that terrified them. It was God who terrified them. Sometimes God will terrify us by what he calls us to do. Sometimes God will terrify us when we recognize his holiness and we compare it to who we are. The miracle worker who had equipped these men to perform miracles wasn't recognized as he miraculously walked on water. And it begs the question, would we recognize Jesus if he was miraculously at work in our lives? It's interesting to me that Mark doesn't include the account of Peter walking on the water. Those are, uh, that's recorded for us in Matthew's gospel. But this is that incident. 
And in Matthew uh, 14, 28 to 31, you, you have Peter and he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him and he said, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? Think about that. Why, why did Jesus rebuke Peter that way? Come on, Peter, you just saw me feed 5,000 people with, with just a little bit of fish and, and, and some loaves of bread. Come on, Peter, you just got back from your first ministry tour. You were so excited to tell me all the great things that you saw, the miracles you saw, the way that demons responded to the, 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 your voices. You called them out through the power of God. And now, now this is freaking you out, you of little faith. As soon as Jesus and Peter get into the boat, the storm stops. And notice this time it isn't Jesus rebuking the storm and the storm stopping. This time it's just the very presence of Jesus and the storm is done. And the disciples were told, had hardened hearts. They still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Hearts too hard to take it in. Listen, Jesus was once again showing them that he is both powerful and compassionate. So where does that leave us today? If Jesus is who he said that he is, then we have a decision to make. Are we going to trust him, the miracle worker, the God who says that we can have the mind of Christ, the God who shows compassion, the God who shows incredible love? Are we going to trust him with our lives or not? Are we going to be like Peter and are we going to say, Lord, save me? Or are we just going to forget about this miracle working God? Is today just going to be kind of the pregame to the Super Bowl. I showed up for church. I did my thing. But I'm going to leave Jesus behind. Because listen, Jesus wants to save you. If you've never trusted in him as your Savior and your Lord, you can do that today. At the end of the service today, we're going to invite you to come and we'll have pastors here who'd love to pray with you. Listen, the same God that prayed for his disciples on that mountaintop was praying for you and me in the Garden of Gethsemane. And 1 John chapter 2 tells us that that Jesus is still interceding for us as our advocate before the Father in the throne room of heaven. If you haven't made that commitment to allow Jesus to save you, let today be the day. Jesus and the disciples did make it to the other side of the lake. And you might think, okay, finally they're going to get a chance to rest. This will be the chance where Jesus can debrief that ministry tour with them. But no, that didn't happen. Look at verse 53. After they crossed the lake, they landed at Genesaret. And they brought the boat to shore and they climbed out and the people recognized Jesus at once. And they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard that he was. Wherever he went in villages and cities or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick at least touch the fringe of his robe. And all who touched him were healed. Listen, I believe the story that Pastor Dale shared with us last week about the woman who had been bleeding for years, who touched the, the tassel of the tallit that Jesus had worn, that her story had spread. And now everybody wants to touch the tassel of Jesus' robe. See, that's what happens when we encounter Jesus and we authentically live in faith and we tell the difference that Jesus has made in our lives, it becomes attractive to others. And now everybody just wants to touch the fringe of the robe. And what happens Boy, Jesus and the disciples bring such hope because everybody who touches that robe is healed. But Jesus came to bring them a healing that was much greater than the temporary physical healing that they'd have. Every one of those people would eventually die. None of them are still alive, all right? But here's the deal. 
those who placed their faith in Jesus Christ and those who, after Jesus had died and risen from the dead, would place their life in him for forgiveness of sins, well, they they would live eternally. Jesus and his disciples brought hope wherever they went. And so our last takeaway today is simply this. By God's help, I aim to daily bring the hope of Jesus wherever I go. So if you need to change your passwords so that you can bring that hope, change your passwords. Do whatever you need to do. But be somebody who brings the hope of Christ with you. Listen, next week, Pastor Dale's back. And some of you are going, whew, praise Jesus, all right? But here's the deal. When he comes back next week, he's going to be coming back and he's going to be sharing about the future of Wooddale Church. And it's going to be exciting. For the last several years, we've talked about Wooddale Church imparting the hope of the gospel to 700,000 people here, near, and far and creating a clear pathway to spiritual maturity. And I just love, as we think about that, the hope that a church that does that can bring to its community. So would you be praying about this next week and this next season of ministry in God's life? And may you be a 21st century bearer of the hope of Christ. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you that you are the God of miracles and that the miracles that you performed in the New Testament, um, God, are, are, are wonderful um, but, but Lord, when I think about the miracle of a changed life, when I think about a church full of people who have responded to your call in their life and have seen you just do mighty things, I'm blown away. So God, may we be walking miracles today. May we be ambassadors of your grace everywhere we go. And may we be ambassadors of your hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.